Did you know that you can find just about all of our podcast episodes? We've done more than 50 now. On our website, just go to gangrythepodcast.com and you can listen to interviews with amazing writers and reporters like David Grant, Tom Juneau, Catherine Miles, Lane DeGregory, Christopher Gofford, and so many more. Just go to gangrythepodcast.com. That's G-A-N-G-R-E-Y, thepodcast.com. Gangry the Podcast is brought to you by the College of Arts and Sciences at Fairfield University, which grounds students in the 500-year-old Jesuit tradition of academic rigor and personal reflection, while providing them with the critical skills needed to succeed in work and life. Students work with passionate faculty and have the chance to study abroad, participate in civic engagement, and conduct hands-on research across a variety of disciplines. And by the Department of English at Fairfield University, which is home to the digital journalism major, as well as an English major with concentrations in literature, creative writing, English studies, professional writing, and teacher education. For more information on the College of Arts and Sciences and the Department of English, go to fairfield.edu. Welcome to Gangray the Podcast. I'm Matt Tullis. For this episode, I talked with Leah Sotilli. Leah is a freelance writer who, most recently, authored and hosted Bundyville, a four-part story series and seven-episode podcast, which was presented by Longreads and Oregon Public Broadcasting. The project is the deepest dive yet into the Bundy family. That's the family that fought back against federal law enforcement officers out west not once, but twice a few years ago. And how they have become a symbol for those who feel the government is keeping them from living their true lives. We also talked about the differences between writing a series that will be read versus one that will be listened to. I think when we were writing the podcast, we didn't know if we had enough cliffhangers to really keep people hanging. But I I think we also thought, you know, People pretty early would be like, why the heck aren't the Bundys voice in here? You know, they're talking about all these things that they probably believe or they maybe are upset about. Um, So it did feel like we needed to get them in there sooner. Whereas I think with the written pieces, there was so much I could tap into um, as far as what was out there. But, um, you know, also really getting into like the genealogy and things like that, it just wouldn't translate as well to audio. So features, profiles, and investigative work have been featured frequently by the Washington Post, Playboy, California Sunday, Outside Magazine, and many more publications. Before freelancing, she was a staff writer at the Inlander in Spokane, Washington, where she wrote about music and was the host of two very late night heavy metal radio programs. As usual, we've linked to Bundyville and several other stories by Sotilli on our website. You can find that at gangrythepodcast.com. Leo, welcome to Gangry the Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm really excited to talk with you uh, today about your series, uh, Bundyville, 
which um, is this fantastic uh, project, I, at least in my mind. Uh, you know, a four-part written series that that's hosted on longreads.com, uh, as well as a seven-episode podcast. Um, before we actually start talking about the about it, though, I'd love to play the trailer uh, to the podcast because it does such a great job of kind of letting people know what this is all about. Sure. Yeah. Awesome. There's this sense that the American West is wide open country. Nothing to hear but the wind in the sagebrush. But recently, it started to sound more like this. In 2014, in Bunkerville, Nevada, Cliven Bundy and his family had their cattle rounded up by the federal government over a matter of unpaid grazing fees. To hear them tell it, what they did next was gather a posse and take those cows back at gunpoint. Heavily armed, they forced dozens of federal agents to stand down. They'd really like to be seen as cowboys. I'm Leah Satilli, and for the last two years, I've been reporting on the Bundy family, trying to figure out what they're doing to the American West. If this is about cows, why did they turn around and take over a national wildlife refuge in Oregon? I am 100% willing to lay my life down to fight against tyranny. They called themselves patriots, said they were fighting a tyrannical government. This is not the kind of story where the good guys were white hats and the bad guys were black. And it was time to do something in offense rather than just defense. This is a story about power and privilege and truth versus belief. Along the way, there are nuclear weapons and religious prophecies and two sides who both see themselves as heroes, but they're not. I'm going to meet the sheriff. The sheriff is waiting for us. In fact, there aren't really any cowboys in this story. Back down or you kill me now. Just gunslingers. Go ahead. Put the bullet through me. Damn it. Are they shooting him? Did I shoot him? You asshole. From Long Reads and Oregon Public Broadcasting, this is Bundyville, coming May 15th. So, uh, so I read I read the series last weekend, and then I, I listened to the podcast this week. Um, usually, as I drive to campus and back, and, and was struck by just um, how how good they both are, um, while simultaneously struck by how different they are. Sometimes, not necessarily in the content, but in in, in a series of things. Um, before we really start digging into that, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about how this entire project came together. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it was, uh, I mean, as I say in the podcast, this whole thing started with me just writing a single breaking news story uh, back in early 2016 when the Bundy brothers took over the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge in Oregon. Um, occasionally, I freelanced for the Washington Post. They called me and asked if I could be in court to just cover the arraignment. And, I, I, you know, I said, of course. And it just was the beginning of a very long journey for me in covering this story. Um, and that I realized it was just extremely complicated, but it, it, um, it, every, every single puzzle piece about the whole Bundy story was just so interesting that I really couldn't look away. So um, for a while after I covered the Oregon trial, which happened in 2016, 
um, I was pitching around this idea of the Nevada trial, which happened in late 2017. Um, and my initial interest in it was that, you know, almost this entire, not an entire family, but half of a very large family was going to be on trial um, for for what happened in Nevada. And I just was so compelled by that idea of this of this whole family being on trial, this father and all and almost all of his sons. Um, and so it started as a story that was supposed to be about the trial in Nevada. And once I started reporting there, and and of course when it that resulted in a mistrial, it seemed really clear to me that it would there was a lot more to say than just one long form piece. So that's kind of how it expanded into something a lot bigger. When, um, when in this process did long reads come into play, uh, and then as well, and, and as well as the the idea of also doing it as a podcast. Yeah. So, um, so you know, as probably your listeners know, with freelancing, I mean, the way I work is I do a lot of reporting on the front end, and then once I have a good sense of a pitch, I will then pitch that to various editors, either that I've worked with or that I want to work with try and sell the story to them and then, um, you know, complete the reporting once they've accepted the pitch and then ultimately write the story. So I pitched it around quite a bit. Um, I pitched it to quite a few places and um, a lot of what the feedback I was getting was that the Bundys were over. There was really no interest in, in talking about them anymore. But I'd worked with long reads before and I approached them and, and sort of told them, you know, passionately why this was, I thought, an important story, um, maybe in such a way that I didn't to those other editors. And my editor there, Mike, immediately was like, yes, we have to do this. So um, so they they got involved um, right before I started covering the trial in Nevada. So that would be like October, probably of 2017. And then when the whole thing, you know, when I came back from my first trip to Nevada and called my editor and just said, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. Like, I think we could write a series. And he said, you know, we also have been really interested in this idea of doing a podcast. I don't know if that's something you're interested in or if you know anybody that can help you with that. Um, what do you think? And and I immediately knew that I there were some radio producers here in town that I would like to work with. Um, and it they kind of let me, you know, Long Reads gave me the, the rope to just kind of figure out a way to make it work, and, and it did. So that's kind of how it worked out. Yeah, you, you mentioned that a, a lot of, uh, a, a lot of um, editors that you pitched this story to said no um, because they, caught, they thought the Bundys were kind of this, like, also ran. Um, but you make such a—there's such a, a, a really thoughtful point that comes across in the story— um, uh, and as well as a podcast, uh, on how they're the, the, the Bundy family is in so many ways, kind of this precursor of what would happen in the 2016 election. Um, did you see that precursor going in or is that something you learned as you were reporting? I mean, I definitely think that when I covered the Oregon trial that ended in, um, I think about 10 days before the election that that ended with a, the a jury acquitting them of their, of their charges here. And then the, then Trump was elected and I felt like I had just experienced sort of like two punches in the face at the same time. And, and I felt like they had to have been connected. And um, it took me a little bit to figure that out, that, that once I started reading more about, you know, quote unquote, Trump's America, I started to think, gosh, this just really sounds like the folks that I've been writing about for a while. Um, so, so I think I definitely knew that there was something there. Um, 
and I and I and I took kind of you know oh, there's a lot that's been written about the Bundys, and I seemed to feel like there was a hole um, that wasn't being filled in, and I couldn't quite figure out what that was as far as the Bundys were concerned. And I think it was just this idea that people really fell victim to the um, illusion that they are cowboys and that it's, you know, that, that, that makes it okay for them to point, you know, instruct people to point guns at government agents trying to do their jobs or take over federal buildings. So I think that that was a lot of what I was running into with, um, with editors that were saying no to the story was they were kind of um, hypnotized by this idea that this was a cowboy story or a story about like maybe American masculinity. Whereas I was sort of realizing as I was pitching and the more I pitched and the more I honed my pitch, um, that it was about uh, more of a comment on, um, on the, and the sort of storm gathering in the wide open spaces in America. So you mentioned that the reporting basically started in the courtrooms, um, uh, you know, as a freelance uh, writer, um, once you once you knew you were going to do this as as a as a big story, and then later as a um, as a series and and a, and a podcast, um, what 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 was some of the first things you did reporting wise to start reaching out to um, to some of these people? Because obviously, if you've got them in a courtroom, it's kind of all happening in front of you. You know, they have their conferences outside, uh, but but to really pull this off, you have to start reaching out to people and seeing if they'll talk to you and and setting all this type of stuff. What was it? What was the first thing you did? The first person you reached out to? Well, I think um, one of the first things that I did was um, during the course of the Oregon trial, you know, I was looking at the people who were on trial and, you know, of course, there were the Bundys, but there were these other people who really acted in kind of very minor roles at the refuge occupation. And I became really interested in why a kid who was like a computer nerd from Ohio would drive halfway across the country to come to this frozen over bird refuge in the middle of January to join this, what seemed like a cowboy protest. Um, so the first person I really wrote about was a guy named David Fry, who was um, ultimately acquitted of charges there. But he was also the la- very last person to leave the refuge um, in Oregon. So in the course of that story, I talked to a lot of people, um, supporters of the Bundys, uh, detractors of the Bundys, really kind of trying to weigh both sides um, of of the the fight that that I saw kind of playing out in the courtroom and really in outside the courtroom too, as far as, you know, people protesting the Bundys and, and things like that. So very early on, I became really interested in the vitriol that the two sides felt towards each other. And um, so, yeah, so I started just kind of talking to people in the courtroom, but also I was there a lot in court, um, you know, even when I wasn't really getting paid to be there or anything, I would keep going because I just wanted them to know my face and mm, be able yeah. to, um, you know, be recognized that, that this is someone who, you know, we see writing about this and she's someone who's, who's interested in it. I know I asked Michael Cruz uh, when he was on the episode um, recently, uh, writing for Politico and going into areas of Trump supporters, what it's like as a reporter, uh, a lot of times when the media is um, kind of 
uh, vilified uh, in, in a lot of those those communities. Um, uh, what that's like uh, for him? Did you did you experience anything like that? Any concerns going in as a as a member of the the quote unquote media talking to some some of these people in these like fringe groups? A little, yeah. I mean, I think that um, you know, as a freelancer, I have the benefit of always sort of telling people, you know, the part of the reason I'm a freelancer is because I want to, you know, not really be in, swept up in, in what, you know, the media means to people um, and try and do things my own way and uh, spend a lot of time working on things and having conversations. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously, over the course of the last couple of years, you know, with Bundy stories, but also with other stories I've written, I've definitely been called fake news. <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> um, you know, I actually had a really entertaining conversation with someone who called me fake news to my face once at a, a really kind of similar protest um, at, at the Bundy's. And, and I said, do you feel like you had to call me fake news? Like, you know, you don't have to say that just because the president saying that we had this really interesting conversation. And he ultimately was like, I'm really sorry. I called you fake oh, news. That's... So, um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so, I mean, it, as far as, you know, there yes, there have been people who didn't want to talk to me, who wanted to film me as I was asking questions or, um, you know, that kind of thing. But, um, you know, I, I've always, uh, it, I, I mean, I get it. I get why people in rural area, areas don't necessarily trust the media or feel like their story is being told. But I also worked in a really small city for a while in the media. So I don't feel like this was like new or shocking to me that people didn't trust the media. So I feel like I could always go into these stories saying like, Hey, I get it. Like the stories of rural America probably aren't being told um, in a way that you feel is fair. So I'm willing to listen to those criticisms. Yeah. Uh, is, is this the first time you've done, uh, I, I want to say podcast, but not necessarily podcast, but an audio uh, project. Um, it, for journalism, yes. Um, I did used to host two very late night heavy metal programs on a community radio station. Uh, so, I mean, I have, you know, had headphones on and spoken into a microphone before, but yeah, it was the first time that I had done, um, a, a straight, you know, audio radio story. So, so how heavy of metal are we talking? Oh, as heavy as you can get. The heavier the better. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, I, I, um, I, 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 this is completely aside, but I, I love progressive metal. So, um, awesome. Uh, yeah, very so, cool. Um, very um, cool. Um, you a Rush fan? Uh, I'm not, no, not as much, but, um, I, I, I'm a fan of Sabotage, uh, awesome. which nobody really knows who Sabotage is, but, uh, I that's, do, so. that's really cool. Yeah. You know, I actually started as a music writer. Like I worked at an alt weekly, um, in Spokane, Washington for, gosh, on and off for 10 years or so. Um, and I was their music editor, but I was also, you know, handling investigations at the same time. I went to school for journalism, but my passion has always been music and, you know, jumping in vans and going, you know, uh, following bands around on tour and things like that. So, um, so yeah, like it, it, that was that's how I got started. So it's always funny to me when people realize, you know, I have more to my personality besides just reporting. 
Right, 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 right. So, so given the fact that this is the first time you've done a piece of, um, I guess, audio journalism, um, did you have to change the way you reported, knowing that that this was going to be something that people would read, but also something that people would listen to? No, not really. Um, you know, I wanted it, it was in, it was great that my editor Mike at Long Reads sort of gave me this freedom to say, you know, do you know anybody that you can make a podcast with? And um, during the Oregon trial, Oregon Public Broadcasting, or OPB here here in Portland, they put together a really interesting podcast called This Land is Our Land, which really was just like a TikTok of the trial as it was playing out because people were really interested in, in what was happening. So they would have me on as a guest. Um, so when Mike asked me, you know, do you know anybody that you can make a podcast with? I immediately thought of OPB and I immediately thought of one of their producers there, Ryan Haas, because I knew that he knew the story as well as I did. But I also felt comfortable saying to him, like, listen, if we're going to do a podcast, I do want to come out as authentically me because I think that my approach to reporting is just different than a lot of people. Um, and, and and so we, I ultimately kind of became... It became like a first-person reported podcast, I think, for that reason. But no, I mean, I didn't change how I talked to anyone or any, anything like that. The um, uh, when when it, you, you mentioned the the one podcast that that you knew that 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 OPD had had worked on, um, did, did on the podcast side, did you like use any other podcasts as guides for how you might want to do something like this? Um, definitely. I mean, I'm an avid consumer of podcasts. I, I, I love the medium. I think when it's successful, it's, it's, a, it's as exciting to me as long form. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I mean, I listened to Dirty John. Obviously, that was one that my editor at Long Read said, you know, we really like Dirty John. We feel like that it could, you know, really go hand in hand with what you want to do. Um, in the Dark, I loved, you know, I enjoyed Heaven's Gate that recently came out. I felt like it was a similar subject matter in some ways um gosh i'm trying to think there's so many podcasts you know i listen to reply all whenever they have news stories so yeah i feel like you know just being acclimated to what sounds good i think on on the mic i was able to in a way feel comfortable like i i had been listening and learning all along it's interesting uh, that you said Dirty John because I, I did I talked with Christopher Gofford uh, on on the podcast uh, when that came out and with that podcast I listened to it and then I read it and with yours I read it and then I listened to it uh, and it was really kind of an interesting um, experience um, with his there wasn't a ton of um, differences between the printed story. And the podcast, at least in terms of structure, uh, the, the the lead the, the the lead to the first story and the intro to the podcast were definitely different, but uh, otherwise it, it adhered pretty closely. Um, yours is they're two incredibly different types of pieces. Uh, so, um, can you talk a little bit about the writing process that you went through? Um, which did you write first? Uh, and, and then we can talk about some of the, the way the structures diverge uh, in both pieces, because I found that incredibly fascinating. Sure, yeah. Um, so, it, it, yeah, it, I, I found the process fascinating, too, so I'm glad, <laughs> glad you thought it was interesting. <laughs> um, it, it, you know, I was really kind of learning on the fly here. So the first story I wrote first, 
And I, I had it written before I even, in fact, I had the first two stories written, I think, before, um, before I even approached OPB about trying to collaborate with them on it. Um, but then I ultimately went back and I rewrote the first story. I think I went through probably eight or nine drafts um, of just honing and, and yeah, um, figuring out what I wanted to do with it. Um, you know, I know some people are really obsessive outliners. Uh, and have a very organized process, but I am, you know, I have, have a very kind of arty personality, and so sometimes I like it first to flow organically, and, and that ultimately, I think, gets me in trouble sometimes, so I probably did more rewriting than I ended up needing to, but um, but I think it was also, we were trying to figure out, was I going to get an interview with the Bundys? You know, I'd been trying really hard um, to talk to them, but ultimately, I couldn't talk to them for a long time because they were in jail they were, you know, their attorneys were either not passing along my request for interviews or they just straight up just didn't want to do it. Um, so, yeah, so I started working on the pieces, kind of put them on hold. We started writing this podcast. Uh, the podcast had to hit on things, I think, a little differently, whereas, you know, all of the first story that I wrote is really kind of unpacking all of the drama around what has happened with the Bundys, whereas in radio, you just have to hit those things really hard. And I knew that I didn't want to spend a ton of time rehashing what had happened. So really, we could only allot one episode maximum to, to you know, hitting on the Bunkerville standoff and the Malheur occupation and the two court trials. Um knowing that, you know, there was only so much attention that, that was there. But I think the beauty of the two is they really achieve getting the story out there to maybe two completely different audiences. So I think that, that if you're a long-form nerd, you will enjoy the prose of the, the pieces, and you will maybe, you know, enjoy the, the writing as much as I enjoyed writing them. But for people who just aren't don't have that attention span the podcast i think is getting i've noticed is getting into the ears and minds of people who would not normally consume long form especially for long form stories yeah definitely um one thing that that i was struck by um and and i'm I'm curious about uh in the like you said in the written in in the written series um it's all set up to uh, in, in a lot of ways are you actually going to get to talk to clive and bundy um and so he finally shows up uh, in part four uh, when you're doing the interview at, at his ranch. Um, but in the podcast, he shows up that that interview shows up in I is it episode two or, or three episode uh, episode three. I talked to Ryan Bundy for the first time outside the courthouse. Yeah, right. And so the and, and so so the Bundy voices show up a whole lot earlier. Um, mm-hmm. just what what why why did in, in terms of like. Why, why make why make that 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 decision? Yeah, I think that um, you know there are podcasts that live on their cliffhangers. I think where you know you can uh, where you know that it, I think when we were writing the podcast, we didn't know if we had enough cliffhangers to really mm-hmm. keep people hanging. But I, but I think we also thought you know people pretty early would be like, why the heck aren't the Bundy's voice in here? You know, they're talking right. about all these things that they probably believe or they maybe are upset about. Um, so it did feel like we needed to get them in there sooner. Whereas I think with the written pieces, there was 
so much I could tap into um, as far as what was out there. But, um, you know, also really getting into, like, the genealogy and things like that, it just wouldn't translate as well to audio. Um, so, so I think that it felt like there was enough there um, based off of, you know, archival videos and old interviews and things like that that, that allowed it the Bundys to come later um, in, in the fourth story. Um, yeah. Had, had you ever worked on a project uh, this long before? I think you mentioned that it, you, I mean, basically started this in 2016. Uh, had you ever worked on a project this, this large and, and this for this long a time? I've definitely worked on projects this large, but I don't know if I have for this long. I could be forgetting something, but, you know, I can think of other stories that, um, that have certainly taken six, seven months of, uh, you know, interviewing, reporting, you know, I love to just kind of get, you know, clear off, take all the art off of my office wall and start sticking up sticky notes, like in a, you know, movie of a crazy person. So like (laughs) the more I can do that with a story, the more exciting it is for me to, to make sure that I flushed out all of the angles. So like uh, last year I did a story for long reads, um, uh, about a police shooting in Portland. And that was a really, really intensive, uh, process with, you know, interviews and, and talking to police and talking to victims and um, that kind of thing, but with lots and lots of, of reading and court documents. So, yeah, I definitely I definitely have worked on uh, large projects before, but, but to see, you know, this as being like the end of a two-year culmination of reporting, I, I, that, was, that was new, and to, and to present it in two completely different mediums was um, it felt at times like I was trying to achieve some sort of journalistic feat of strength. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, did you do, you, I'm assuming you did other freelance work while you were working on this? I did to a certain point. So uh, over the last two years, I definitely did. Um, I wrote a lot for the Washington Post. Um, I, I did, you know, some kind of breaking stuff for them. Um, I write for outside, I uh, worked on some stories for California Sunday, um, you know, all, ki- all kinds of things. I mean, it's, I am programmed to work a lot. And so I like to always have lots of things happening and, and that I'm working on. And I, I think I'm just generally a really curious person. So just I like to have a lot of things. But there was a point with, um, with Bundyville where I, c- I couldn't work on anything else. In fact, I tried to. <laughs> No. <laughs> and I almost drove myself to insanity. So I cleared my plate as quickly as I could. And part of that was, you know, in thanks to long reads, they were able to, uh, as I wrote the pieces, I would get paid for them. So it, in a way, was able to sustain me so I didn't have to take on other work to, to work on other things. Oh, that's that's nice. That That's incredible. Yeah, it was cool, nice. It's, it's rare. I mean, it's, it's really rare. Usually I'm chasing people to get paid um and they are they're you know they have this um arm of their company they really seem to understand and appreciate and want to pay for journalism um that takes time which is really cool do you want to do another podcast someday absolutely yeah i'm trying to figure one out right now (laughs) how long uh have you known that you wanted to be that you wanted to do this type of journalism oh my gosh um 
geez. Like, when I was in high school in the 90s, I was an avid reader of Northwest Alt Weeklies. And, um, you know, Willamette Week, The Rocket uh, in Portland and Seattle, uh, The Stranger. I, I really liked what they did as far as deep, ambitious, kind of crazy reporting. Um, but I think, you know, when I was in college and I first stumbled on Tom Wolfe and Joan Didion and Susan Orlean, I knew, I mean, I just, I remember it was like a seismic shift had happened in my life and I was like, I have to do this. I have to figure out a way to do this. So I definitely have wanted to do, um, you know, ambition has never been something I've been lacking. It's more just about skills. So, you know, (laughs) taking all the time to to build up the skills I needed and the know-how to try and pitch the places that I wanted to write for. So, I mean, I, let's see, I was in school, I graduated high school in 1999, so, it, you know, I started working as a journalist in 2003, so that long. <laughs> and that and that, that first job, when you talked about um, doing music, but you were also doing, um, you know, other types of reporting, um, even with with covering the music and that type of stuff, did, did you learn anything that helps you do the type of work today? like in those early years? Definitely. Um, so my very first job was actually, um, I was a, I did start as a city council reporter in Cheney, Washington, which is a tiny little farm town. Um, there's a university there, but I worked for this little weekly paper there. And um, I, I worked there briefly before I moved on to alt weeklies. And it took some time for me to get into music writing. Um, but I think what I discovered early on is, that, you know, working in a rural community that people really wanted to be listened to. And so, you know, I needed to make time for them. Um, but also, as far as, as, as music writing was concerned, I think I learned that I could write beautiful sentences and still make it journalism. And um, I remember arguing a lot with people at the All Weekly that I worked with people would say, you know, are you a reporter or are you a writer? And I always kind of took a weird offense to that because I thought, why can't you be both? Like, I'm not, I don't need to fabricate any details, but I can describe them in the most beautiful way that I can. And I feel like that's what, you know, Susan Orlean does or Pamela Koloff. Like, they are, they, they work hard to make sure that they select the right words to describe things appropriately for people to... Um, understand or maybe feel in that moment, viscerally in that moment. So, so I think that maybe that was the big takeaway was that you can still write really well while also breaking news. Right. What, uh, what, what type, so, so you're a freelance uh, writer, so you're constantly looking for stories uh, to, to both pitch and to Mm -hmm. hopefully write. Um, What, what types of things really, uh, you know, ideas, topics, um, people, uh, or ideas basically get you excited and really pull you in and, and make you want to, to do something uh, on them? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I've always been obsessed with subcultures. So um, I think that that, you know, speaks to the music writing that I did and the types of bands that I would write about. Um, but also, I think in a way, the Bundy story is kind of the ultimate subculture story. Like, it's a, it's a whole it's a whole thing. It's a whole, you know, arm of America right now. And um, so definitely subcultures, but I I think also just the American dream, like what that means for 
any number of people, whoever they are, whether that's, you know, a metal band in Spokane, Washington, or a rancher in rural Nevada, um, or protesters in urban Portland, um, all these ideas that make up America in their minds, that's something I've always been really interested in. So, you know, like I said, it's the, the Bundy story really felt like the culmination of like all of my interests kind of in one place but you know also the the typical stuff like you know being a voice for the voiceless like uh you know listening to stories other people other people might not um those definitely are 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 inspiring you know nuggets that i that i turn back to time and time again to go to those those areas but you know i also think as a freelancer i have the benefit sometimes of coming in after the media has left um, and trying to figure out how they all got the story wrong or how, you know, maybe there were things that were overlooked. And I feel like that, I feel like, you know, I learned that from that Michael Cruz story back in the day where he wrote about the lady who had died in her car. Right. And I remember you remember him talking about, you know, he had like jumped up in the dumpster to like <laughs> go through the garbage from there. And I feel like that's kind of like what I do. Like I sort of like go through everybody's garbage and try and find the good story. Right. That story is a brevard woman disappeared, but never left home uh, about yeah. Catherine yeah. Norris, um, yeah. which hopefully is back online. The, the Tampa Bay times has been making some changes with their website. So uh, hopefully it's back online and, and people can, hear you talking about that and we'll go look for it because it's an amazing story i turn you know anytime people ask me like about um you know things that i like i i I oftentimes will send them you know stories like that and just say you know print this out and annotate it try and figure out how how he got this information how you would find you know, that line that, you know, if you were to, to write it. I, I teach that story in just about every journalism class I teach because it is absolutely yeah. a perfect example. So, um, yeah, so good. What are you, what are you, are you working on anything right now that you can talk about that we can uh, maybe look forward to? Um, you know, I'm always kind of cagey about whatever I'm working on. Uh, but I do think, you know, I'll continue to follow what happens with the Patriot movement. I am very interested in following, domestic extremism in all of its forms. So, so that's something, you know, I'm, I'm just generally interested in. I definitely think I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the next podcast project I'll work on is because I, I just really like that medium and I'm excited about the idea of writing something and also being able to do the audio version too. So, um, you know, I wish I knew, usually I, I have like five months of you know, four or five months of work figured out ahead of time. I put a lot of that on hold to do the podcast. So I'm a little <laughs> like, I don't know what I'm going to do next. So <laughs> we'll see. I mean, I'm sure it'll, I'm sure it'll, it'll pop up for you. Yeah. So, Well, Leah, thank you so much for joining the podcast. It's been so great talking with you. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much for having me. I've been talking with Leah Sotilli, the author and host of Bundyville. We've linked to the story series as well as the podcast on our website. You can find that at gangrythepodcast.com. Stay up to date with the podcast by following us on Twitter. That's at gangrypodcast. Gangry is spelled G-A-N-G-R-E-Y. 
You can also like the podcast on Facebook. You can subscribe to Gangry the Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or any Google Play app. Just search Gangry. That's G-A-N-G-R-E-Y podcast. Gangry the Podcast is produced in Donnarumma Studios at Fairfield University. It's made possible by the College of Arts and Sciences and the Department of English at Fairfield U. This episode was hosted and produced by yours truly. I'm Matt Tullis. Thanks for joining us.